Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. This night is full of great elegance and beauty, but also power. It's amazing how the whole world over, almost in every tribe, tongue, nation, is tempted to even celebrate the small, bare parts of this great tradition. The nation of Japan, which has a Christian population of less than 1%, is chalked and replete full of Christmas lights, Christmas carols, and Christmas trees. It's simply amazing that the impact of Jesus' birth on the world and world history is staggering. We still, for the most part, run our calendars off of Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, his birth. And on this night, nearly 2.6 billion men, women, and children around the world sing similar songs and remember and rejoice at the power of the incarnation of Jesus. So tonight, for just a few moments, I'd like us to consider this, this subject from the angel's point of view, through the lens of the angel's eyes, and we can often sentimentalize them or romanticize little angels, little cherubs with violins or whatnot. But the word of God helps us understand these most powerful, amazing beings who long to look into the salvation of the world. So let's pray together before we start. Oh God, you have caused this holy night to shine with the brightness of the true light. Grant that we who have known the mystery of that light on earth, may also enjoy him perfectly in heaven, where with you and the Holy Spirit he lives and reigns, one God in glory everlasting. Amen. So we've heard these stories of the Old Testament leading into the New Testament of the explanation of the great promise of God, his plan in redemptive human history, to bring about a savior. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, the apostle Peter writing about this salvation, writing about this very subject says this, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you when they spoke of the things that have been told to you by those who have, been, who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. So I wanna address several things out of this passage for us to consider And here, as even tonight, we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see in this very simple passage, prophets searching, angels longing, and salvation coming. All wrapped into this very neat package of 1 Peter chapter 1. So with the first, the prophets searching. Imagine occupying your whole life, your whole life's purpose, 
is occupied with something you hope for or think will happen, something you're searching for. Peter writes that the prophets search intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time in which this Messiah would come and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing to his sufferings and the glories that would follow. In fact, the whole of the Old Testament is one gigantic story of anticipation that the God of the Jews would deliver them fully and finally. What they missed is that the delivery would come through humility, through a suffering servant, Isaiah 53, one born of a virgin, Isaiah 9, and one from the line of David. These prophetic voices all longed for God to come and to rend the heavens and to take away their pain and wipe away every tear. We still have these longings today. In the mid-1840s in France, a parish priest commissioned a poem to be written, and the author, Placide Capot, penned one of the most beautiful and enduring Christmas songs of all time. We'll sing it in just a few moments. What is fascinating is that the song gets to the heart of the human predicament, the human condition. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. To pine is to long for something, to hope for someone or something to come along. And that the birth of Christ is humanity's redemption. More intriguing about the poem is not just the beauty of its truth, but the reality that the writer was an atheist. And the other, the one who put it to music, was a devout Jewish follower. But yet, how could they get this right? Because we all long for something. What are you longing for this night? What do you really long for? We're all longing for something. We hope maybe something will turn out to our favor, a job, a relationship, a better school, whatever it is. Um, I'm a Raiders fan. The Raiders are playing the Steelers. I'm longing for them to go to the playoffs. We all long for something. But the thing about longing that's interesting is this. Will you truly be satisfied if you get what you long for? The Christian message is clear. The sum of our longings are answered in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He writes in The Weight of Glory, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. I want you to know that longing for God is the most satisfying and fulfilling thing this life can offer you. 
Secondly, Peter moves then to the angels, these heavenly beings of such great interest and fascinations. Angels are agents of God, messengers from the divine, and it actually took the church quite a few years, maybe some would say into the 5th and 6th century, to really understand and figure out angels. And I could only scratch the surface tonight with a very brief sermon. But the catechism of the church says this, the whole life of the church benefits from the mysterious and powerful help of the angels. Jesus created them and references them in his teachings. The apostle Paul spoke of them. He even said, our battle in this world is not against flesh and blood, not against each other, although we tend to think so. Our battle is actually against powers and rulers and principalities in the heavenly realms. Angels are also mentioned in modern films and literature and music. And to quote the great North American theologians, the rock band Alabama, oh, I believe there are angels among some of you. It's, it's too late and too past, far past your bedtime. Sorry. Some things about angels that are important to understand, though, as we look at salvation through their lens, they're called the holy ones. They have superhuman knowledge, but not omniscience. They have superhuman wisdom, but not all wisdom. They have superhuman strength and power, but not omnipotence. They have the ability to appear as human. We're told in Job 36, they were created even before the earth and the stars. So they aren't some little cherubs with violins floating on clouds. They are magnificent and fearful to some degree beings, which is why often when angels appear to people in the scriptures, they have to say to them, do not be afraid. And we could spend a lot more time on them, but in essence, the, the scriptures clarify for us the purpose of angels. In Hebrews 1, it says, Are not angels all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So when Peter says that these amazing, powerful, and mysterious creatures long to look into the gospel of Christ, he reveals the all-consuming glory of the redemptive purposes of God. Peter is saying that the gospel message is of highest value, that the most powerful creatures alive in all of history, in all of the universe, are captivated by it. What are you captivated by? A New Testament scholar says that the word long to long for speaks of an earnest desire stressing the inward impulse rather than just the object Desired. Likewise, the word to look, parakupsai, implies straining one's neck as if to see or look intently at something. Because apparently, the work of Christ is so great, so magnificent, so ineffable, so unexplainable, that at the incarnation, God taking on humanity... The promise of God comes true in human flesh. That angels broke out in worship 
in front of the lowly shepherds. A heavenly course of legions of angelic beings burst forth in perhaps the greatest concert ever to happen, exploding in the skies above Bethlehem. And even more amazing, it happened before the outcasts of Jewish society, the lowly shepherds. We can often think, again, very romantic about the shepherds. But the shepherds were considered outcasts and criminals. They were not to be trusted nor respected. And yet God, in his glory, appears to them to say, peace on heaven and earth. Why did the angels do this? The angels did not stoop down from heaven, but the Son of God did. One theologian says, the host of heaven acclaimed him at his incarnation, served him in his temptation, wondered at his crucifixion, announced his resurrection, and bore him back to heaven again to sit down at the right hand of God, having accomplished forgiveness of sins, our forgiveness, us, the lowly people. Athanasius of Alexandria, who lived in the 4th century, once wrote, The Lord did not come to make a display. He came to heal and to teach suffering men. The angels had a front row seat into the most amazing promise of all time coming true the salvation of mankind. That brings me to my last point, salvation coming. We are the recipients of that salvation, and they, the angels, are spectators of it. In the grand cosmic story of everything, at the center is the Lord of heaven and earth, wrapped in our flesh, lying in a manger, yet exalted to the throne of God on high. No creature could ever take his place, not even angels themselves. None could steal his glory or be worthy of our worship. The angels were astonished and amazed by salvation. Peter says this in verse 9 that I didn't read. You are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's this restaurant I've been to a couple of times in Austin, Texas. It's called the Oasis. And it's at the top of a very big hill. It sits on Lake Travis, a big lake that runs through the area. And people come there every night, even probably tonight, waiting in lines, paying money. Some just don't even buy anything. They just come to watch the sun set. And at the end of the sunset, whether the crowd is little or big, they break out in applause at the end. I've seen it. It's amazing. They're captivated by the beauty of God's creation. The angels broke into worship because they had been watching from eternity past the plan of God unfold. And here it is, a baby in a manger. And that baby would become the center point for salvation. Consider that for a moment. Of all the religious traditions and stories and myths and philosophies that you can read about, most of our modern movies are basically all of those things rehashed or doctored up or dressed up, 
all of these things, of all these stories and myths, we worship a God who became like us to take on our nature and to rescue us. And I even said to my kids tonight, if you could get me a better story of reality, I'd believe it and throw away my Christian faith. That's what the angels are fascinated by. St. Augustine once said this, man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread of life might hunger, that the fountain thirst, that the light of the world sleep, that the way be tired on its journey, that the truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation of the world be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the great physician might be wounded, that life might die. That's what the angels are fascinated by. They're just captivated and delighted and enthralled and totally interested to witness how God is saving you and me. Have you ever thought about that? Even angels long to look into human salvation. You might wonder, well, why are they so fascinated by man's salvation? The most likely explanation is that they are amazed at the astonishing way that God solved the dilemma of the fall, which we heard about in Genesis. And God allowed us to rebel. He gave us freedom. And the cross that this baby would one day hang upon is the means by which God himself provided his son as a righteous substitute to pay the penalty for sin, while at the same time upholding his holy standard. God now provides redemption to anyone who will believe, who will repent and receive it, even tonight, even sitting here. The gospel reading earlier from Luke chapter 2 The angels say to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests, to those who believe and receive him. Even better, in Luke 15, Jesus tells the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. And in two of those stories, the lost thing is representing the the sinful thing, the one that got away. Jesus says, I tell you in the same way, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Our whole world is often reduced to the ordinary. We go to work, we go to school, we live our lives, we pay our bills, we marry, bury, and hurry through life. And there is something very beautiful about the ordinary world that we live in for this is our Father's world. But in the ordinary world, our ultimate longings go unfilled, unfulfilled. It is in the extraordinary world, a babe in a manger, that all our hopes are alive, 
for it is the night of our dear Savior's birth. So as the great hymn says tonight, then, fall on your knees and hear, maybe anew, or maybe this night for the first time, the angels' voices, and love him who was born in Bethlehem. Turn to him who lived and died as one of us, and long for him who will come again and be saved by him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and Merry Christmas.